Dear listeners, Sai Ram. Welcome to our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics. Every Thursday on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony, you can enjoy this live conversation. It's from 12.30pm to 2pm Indian Standard Time. Today's episode was first featured as part of First Day Live on August 1st, 2013. Sairam, dear listeners, and today, with great joy and enthusiasm in my heart, me, Arvind from Team Radio Sai, would like to welcome you for another segment of Afternoon Satsang. And every moment, As we speak and have the satsang in the Radio Sai studios, we feel Bhagwan's presence with us. Him seated on this beautiful sofa that he had blessed with his presence years ago. And therefore, we are always in August company. And in this August company, we would like to take up a satsang on a very interesting topic. Sairam Prem. Sairam Arvind and Sairam to all listeners. You know, Prem, to start off, instead of the traditional way of revealing the topic and then proceeding, mm-hmm. I thought we can start with one little story that leads on to the topic for the day. And this story, I remember hearing it from Bhagwan during a discourse, when he said that there was once a king who had the habit of bowing down in humility to every being. Okay. It was almost in resonance and consonance with the song that Tyagaraja used to sing, Yendaro Mahanu Bhavalu Andiriki Vandanumulu. There are so many great people and I bow down to all of them. So, this king, it is not that he had an inferiority complex or anything like that. He was a magnificent and wonderful king, but he had genuine humility and because of which he used to bow down to everybody who visited his court. And this was not liked by the minister. And so, the minister tells the king, being the king, it is not right for you to bow down to everyone. Mm -hmm. Swami said, the king tells the minister, why don't you do this little thing that I tell you? What he did was he offered him the head of a goat, the head of a rabbit and a human head severed from the dead bodies of course. And he told the minister, go and sell these three mm-hmm. and come back and tell me what price did you get for each of them. So this is what the minister does. And as Swami narrates the story, the minister comes back and he says that, king, this is what I sold the rabbit head for. This is the price for which I sold the goat head for. But O king, there is nobody who is ready to purchase a human head. And when the minister told this to the king, the king tells the minister that see, after death, there is no value for this human head. There is value when there is life. So why not gather and accumulate more value by bending down that head in humility? And Swami said, humility is one sure short way of adding value to human life. That was a message Swami gave on that day that also has a far-reaching message more than just humility. It says that human life gets value. In fact, human life is defined by values. Values such as humility and so many other values that Swami clubs together as human values. What is the magic of these human values? What are these human values? How do we understand them? How do we practice them? That will be the endeavor of this satsang. Right, Prem? Right, Arvind. And very rightly said, human values, it's not adding value to human life, 
but they are characteristics which actually give value to human life if these are removed we are only a corpse and that corpse has no value exactly they define what is human life right in fact i remember reading i think it's in the dharma vahini <laughs> where swami says that see it's the nature of the fire to burn fire has to be hot if it is not hot if it is not burning it is not fire a fire is defined by its burning nature and its heat similarly swami says it is the nature of the water to wet so too swami adds that human values are the nature of humans without which you can't call a human a human so it's almost like the spontaneous thing what we do as you said the nature of fire is to burn whatever is thrown at it it will try to burn it you know whether mm. it is able to or not as a secondary mm. i remember a very interesting thing one of my teachers in school used to say you know she was actually teaching us human values okay you used to have this moral science class you have one story with a moral at the end of it right. and then further discussions mm. on that so that should be part of the curriculum then mm. so this teacher of ours which much later i came to know she was actually a swami's devotee and who's teaching us all swami's message okay She had this very interesting way of putting this forth. She said, "When I ask you what is your name, the first and straightforward thing you would do is tell me your name." Correct. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't tell me somebody else's name or you wouldn't try to hide your name. So she said the most spontaneous thing for you is to speak the truth. Unless you're a spy who is supposed to be under Unless you're put under some constraint, you know, to go otherwise. So yeah. she said by nature you will speak truth. So she would say that that is why truth is your nature. Hmm. and you know she went on to say like that is the very essence of a lie detector test also right when you want to test a person scientifically if he's telling a lie or not basically what they do is they just read the other parameters of the body correct they hook up a person to the device which can monitor his metabolism his heart rate his breathing rate his pulse his sweat the heat produced in the palms everything and uh, they say that when a person is speaking the truth none of these psychological reactions occur because a person is not nervous a person is most comfortable actually speaking the truth it's only when a person is lying that there is some kind of stress unless of course one is a trained liar <laughs> otherwise for any normal person which is about 90 to 95% of the people on the face of the earth there will be sweating there will be some kind of heat produced because of which the instrument will be able to say that this person is lying not that it knows the truth but it's just that it's able to detect that something is not right in this body and therefore maybe he's telling a lie same thing stands for any other uh let's say when you're angry hmm. you behave otherwise you start trembling you start sweating yeah people also say that you know he's behaving like an animal right he's like a wild dog they don't say that he's like a human being so though theoretically we are not aware intrinsically we have a feeling of what a good human being should right. be same thing goes with you know jealousy they hmm. say you burn from within because hmm. actually physically you feel that you feel that physical change happening in you when you're jealous of somebody when you hate somebody hmm These are all, I think, biological mechanisms by which the body itself tells you that this is not supposed to be your nature. This is not supposed to be your characteristic. Right? Exactly. I remember one very uh, beautiful concept that I came across in that DVD called The Secret. It's a wonderful DVD. It comes along with a book. In that, they say that all these. emotions that we have we often think of them as exhaust exhaust in the sense that i did something good and the result of that is happiness it's just like when you burn fuel what comes is exhaust so emotions are our exhaust that's how we usually think right. we think that this tragedy occurred to me and the exhaust of that is that i'm feeling sad or something nice happened and i'm feeling happy so we always consider our emotions to be fruits 
बट इन दैट प्रोग्राम दे गिव अ वेरी नाइस पर्सपेक्टिव दे से डोंट टेक दीज इमोशंस एज एग्जॉस्ट और रिजल्ट टेक दैम एज इंडिकेटर्स और फीडबैक टू यू विच मीन्स इफ यू स्टार्ट फीलिंग फ्रस्ट्रेटेड और डिसअपॉइंटेड इट इज योर बॉडी टेलिंग यू दैट वॉट यू आर थिंकिंग राइट नाउ वॉट यू आर स्पीकिंग राइट नाउ और वॉट यू आर डूइंग राइट नाउ is not right so therefore stop doing it it's more like a reward punish cycle you know when we are training pets when you're training a dog if it does what it's supposed to do we throw it a biscuit a goodie a treat at the same time if it does what it's not supposed to do maybe you whip it or you bring it to heel you punish it so they say that the emotional system is like a feedback system which is either rewarding or punishing so when you're feeling happy when you're feeling good when you're feeling nice it is your body rewarding you saying what you're thinking now what you're speaking now what you're doing now is good continue doing this at the same time when you're feeling frustrated or irritated it is not the result of something it is just your body telling you now that you should change your thoughts you should change your words you should change your deeds so it is inbuilt you know when we see corruption going on when we see hatred when we see anger we get the reaction in our body you know we don't feel comfortable which means it is our own selves telling us get away from the situation or change the situation because this what is being spoken thought or done is not right so it is perfect that we have an inbuilt mechanism that seems to tell us what is right what is wrong what is needed what is not needed it's amazing you know it's a completely different perspective and also you can understand when swami used to say hmm. the true guru is actually within Hmm. You no know, the guru within will be the best guide for you and these are all actually different interpretations of that what is right and wrong is actually known by you intrinsically and that's why when swami said education should be that which brings out from within hmm. all knowledge is actually within all discrimination is within nobody needs to tell you that this is right and wrong so the process of education is supposed to bring out this latent goodness right. within every person and that's why swami calls it as edu care which is derived from i don't know if it's latin or Swami says it's educare, E D U C E R E, which actually in that language means to elicit. Totally opposite to many places which consider education as the process by which you stuff an individual with information and facts. Right. It is not about putting from outside into the person. It's about bringing from the person what is latent and making it patent. And that's why Swami would always emphasize on educare. Swami would always say educare is more important. It has to come from within. and going through the process itself through education it's a different perspective altogether one is you go through the process of education thinking that you are gaining something hmm. and the other is you go through the process understanding well that this process is going to bring out something from within hmm. so you will always look for that knowledge to come from within rather than looking outside and seeing what i can grab and what i can gather and in the process of speaking about educare swami would always speak invariably about human values now when we think about what are human values a long list turns up nobility goodness speaking sweetly honesty charity right. interestingly you know, generosity the walk for values which happens in toronto it started mm. in toronto it's catching up everywhere now mm. there the thing is each one is supposed to adopt a value okay and then take the marathon walk so courtesy so or innumerable values each one would have their own value as you said courtesy humility being good i think so many things even the concept of scouts actually mm. comes from that you know you embody some values like this discipline duty the beautiful thing is Swami gives us four pillars we can call them four pillars or four foundation stones however we wish to call them but swami says that all the human values are nothing but an expression or a reflection of these four values and swami boils them down to satya dharma shanti and prema and i feel that we should definitely spend some time 
in trying to understand what each of these actually means and we should elaborate on them with examples as always from swami's life from experiences with swami and from what swami has taught us so having said that you know innumerable human values are held in these four that itself gives us an idea that each one of these is going to be so multifaceted it's not as simple as we understand them hmm should we start with the first one okay satya dharma shanti prema truth right conduct peace and love these are the best translations available in english for these four sanskrit terms and that is where the problem actually creeps in because though these terms are in sanskrit sanskrit is not so prevalent all over the world and therefore the english meanings are taken and in english swami points out that the comprehensiveness of the meaning is not often conveyed for example when we say truth we often think it to be limited to speaking what is the truth speaking the fact what is your name my name is arvin then i am speaking the truth what is your name if i say my name is prem then i am not being truthful this is definitely a part of truth but we often think that this is what truth is all about speaking the truth i feel that is where a narrow focus comes in and it becomes very necessary to understand what satyam means in its entirety right. and it's a very beautiful connection between speaking truth and the longevity of truth hmm. that actually defines what the satya is and the different layers of meaning the satya has so therefore swami differentiates it saying there is something called nijam nijam means a fact a fact is going to change in time it need not be the same always so that is not satyam it is also a part of satyam but not satyam as such satyam is nijam and much more right and similar thing i mean you can take it even day to day life if i ask you what shirt are you wearing i'm wearing a white shirt right and this fact will last only till maybe a few hours when you go back home and change exactly so you're not lying but what you're saying is not satyam in that true sense exactly and in fact you know if you look at it suppose there is a deal between two people mm. and even when a guru is giving upadesh to a disciple hmm. it is said that you know when the truth is declared it's declared three times iti satyam iti satyam iti satyam you know even in vedas you come across this thing correct the essence of that is it is past present and future ah. that which is constant throughout it doesn't change and when you're declaring a truth like that it says that iti satyam iti satyam it is truth in the past the truth the present it shall be truth forever and so dear listeners that is what swami defines as satyam he says that the vedas also call this as rutam right. so rutam or satyam is that truth which does not change in the three periods of time that is in the past in the present and the future and so mistaking this human value truth to be just honesty or speaking what is the right fact at that time can often become a mistake i remember prem reading one story this story was part of our syllabus in the 9th grade mm-hmm. it's a story written by popular indian writer rk narayan a very nice story a very moving story but i feel that story also brings out this apparent contradiction that we are talking about between spoken truth and satyam truth mm-hmm. so in the story what happens is there's a postman his name is thanappa and thanappa is beloved of the whole village where he stays where he serves because he knows almost every family by their name he knows their history he knows what all they have gone through what are they going through so he's like a friend to everybody and his daily routine consists of traveling all around the village delivering letters and mail and at the same time talking to all these people so he has become like a family member to many of them and then there is this family where the daughter is supposed to be 
of marriageable age and they are not finding a suitable groom for her so this is the problem that the girl's father keeps telling thanappa the postman every time they meet every day they meet every day he asks the postman are there any proposals from anybody that have come mm-hmm. are there any letters for me this way so thanappa is also aware of how much they have been trying to get their daughter married almost after a few years a proposal finally comes the groom side is also happy with the bride the bride side is happy with the groom and everything is fixed and it's a matter of great rejoicing for the father and therefore for thanappa too because he has been so intimately involved with all that has been happening so he's very thrilled and then what happens is on the day of the wedding of course thanappa is also invited to partake the marriage feast because it is such a special day and thanappa is such a special person right. for the family mm-hmm. on that day he notices that a telegram has come for the girl's father you know we had a satsang about telegram <laughs> how that service has ceased in india in those days it was the fastest way and the best way of communicating invariably you don't even have to read a contents of a telegram to make the recipient anxious correct when you say a telegram has come they get scared yeah because it would be either a very good news because people are not able to contain it and they have to convey it or some terrible news maybe because it has to be conveyed urgently the very mention that you have got a telegram would get people a little edgy so when thanapar gets the telegram he does something which a postman is not allowed to do which is read the contents of the telegram and when he reads the content of the telegram he gets to know that somebody very close i think it's a brother or a sister of this girl's father has passed away and you know in india the custom is such that on a holy day if something like this happens it's considered inauspicious and everything is stopped now thanapa though he attends the wedding he doesn't tell him that a telegram has come even when that person asks him he asks him thanapa any mail for me today he is in a very happy mood and thanapa says nothing is there sir and he partakes of the feast and the next day after all the celebrations are done and the bride has left with the groom happily that is when thanappa comes and reveals and says i have made a mistake this had come yesterday it's my duty to have delivered it to you but i told you a lie i said it has not come because you know this is left unsaid but everyone realizes that had he told that this marriage would have stopped and god knows what would have happened this marriage is culminating after 2 3 years and here was thanappa feeling that same fatherly love for the daughter there and therefore it was almost like he put himself in the father's position and he knew that this should not stop there is no problem if this news is conveyed the next day because what is done is done that person is dead anyway and this is appreciated by the father and everybody else also and with just a pat on thanappa's back they let go of it now the question that i am asking is thanappa told a lie so can we say that thanappa did not follow human values that's the question and obviously i think everybody would agree that he was more human than you know you could imagine if he, he went out of his way right i think it brings the point that the one who knows a bit of either side of the event little bit of the past and the eventuality which would occur if he takes a particular course of action hmm so that defines what is that moment's satya literally what is the human value for that moment is defined by his knowledge of the past and the future and here as you rightly said thanappa had complete knowledge of the past right and he had some knowledge of what would happen in the future had the step been taken and therefore he was in a position to follow satyam in a manner where even though he is telling a lie it is not a lie and so i think that brings us slowly to this definition where satyam requires knowledge of the past the present and the future because satyam is changeless in the past present and future 
and when you say this hmm. you always think that how will swami satyam be the one hmm. who knows the complete past and the complete future in fact that was his childhood name right satyam <laughs> right and swami would often say that i am satya sai baba i never stray away from the truth there's one incident which someone narrated to me you know there was one devotee hmm. who was going through a very difficult phase in her life hmm. i think her husband had lost a job so swami gave her a lot of courage swami saying don't worry i will speak to one of my devotees get him a job everything will be fine hmm. and every time she would come swami would tell you speak to this devotee he has a factory and you know he will give you a job okay or swami would say that you know this august or this january uttrainam i will make sure he gets a job and every time swami would say and they would have a lot of hope and it wouldn't happen and every time this happened she felt why swami said and it's not happening and well this- i think that is a common feeling amongst many of us even to this day you know we often think of some of swami's words and think why is it that it's not happening why did swami say swami said that but it didn't happen why did he have to make such a statement well it's not just that devotee faced at that time right. even today it happens all of us have that thing mm. and this was going on for years not mm. just a day or two or a few months for years this was happening and you can imagine it's not just a question because there is so much of turmoil behind this question hmm so once when she had the opportunity to be alone with swami she very accusingly she said swami why do you lie why do you give us false hope like this? why do you lie why do you say that it will happen on such a day it doesn't happen hmm. because you tell us to follow all these virtues and values hmm. but why do you lie and swami became very stern and you know swami looked right into her eye and said my mind is fixed only on one thing that is your welfare hmm whatever i do i should benefit you and swami said i know exactly when your life is going to change Hmm. I know exactly when your problem gets solved but my motive is that till that day comes I have to keep your hopes alive hmm. I should make sure that you go through this period of life which you are supposed to with least damage hmm. and Swami said if that calls for me even speaking lies I will not hesitate wow and you know this also brings in the idea of compassion actually hmm. where truth when it comes when the mixture of knowing the past and the present and that of compassion and love comes that truth actually modifies itself mm. i mean the idea of truth completely changes right exactly prem and that actually you know brings us to the question what exactly is satya then if facts can change today mount everest is the highest peak tomorrow it may not be so me saying that mount everest is the highest peak need not be the truth at the same time if swami says say kanchenjunga is the highest peak we may think that it's a lie but 10 years from now it might become i mean one thing we have understood is truth is something that is changeless for past present and future but what is actually satya i think we will talk about that with interesting insights from swami after this little break that we take dear listeners please be tuned in something very very interesting is coming up and we shall discuss that after this song break here is a beautiful song that sets us thinking it's a song in kannada but the feel and the meaning of the song is i am everything i am the truth i am the light i am the darkness i am happiness i am sorrow i am everything we are playing this song because this has got a very intimate relationship with what is actually satya
ನಾನು ಸಾಯಿ ನಾನು ಆತ್ಮನಾನು ಅನಂತಾನ ನಾನು 
listeners though that song was in kannada i think most of you would have understood the meaning of that song because it had a lot of sanskrit words and words which are very commonly heard in swami's discourses also but nevertheless arvind i think maybe you could quickly give us a brief of that song as you understand the language well atmananu chidananda roopananu it says that i am the soul i am the chit ananda that is a right. consciousness i am bliss i am indestructible i am infinite I don't have a country I don't have a kala a time I don't have a caste I don't have nationality I have no restrictions I am that infinite and uh, I am satya I am dharma I am sai I am everything you know I think the singer imagined swami's message to be like this but as swami always says I am god but so are you this is what applies to all of us and swami says that is the only truth The only truth is that everything is one. Again the next question you know that comes spontaneously to the mind is if this is the only truth and this is what has been reiterated again and again if this is the satya that sai stands for why is it so hard for us to accept it? I think that is because again it comes to perception mm-hmm. what you see what you hear and going absolutely by what you see and what you hear. When you do an experiment you should have some kind of intelligence to interpret the results which you get in an experiment mm. the results by themselves will not hold anything they mm. will only be numbers if you don't know what you're measuring and how to connect those numbers there was a 10 day festival you know held during swami's 50th birthday mm-hmm. in 1975 from 15th of november till 24th of november it was magnificent in ways more than one for starters swami himself supervised everything from the construction of sheds to the sanitation work to the accommodation of people to what should happen on each day and lot of things happened during the 50th birthday apart from bhagwan giving darshan in a helicopter there was the inauguration of the sarvadharma aikya stupa mm-hmm. there was the inauguration of the gopuram the ratotsavam that is held every year on the 18th of november started actually in that year Mm-hmm. That was the year when Swami inaugurated a police station for Puttaparthi. A new school building for the Ishwaramma school was inaugurated. So in every sense the 50th birthday was a landmark event. Mm-hmm. And even in terms of teachings. You know Prem sadly I checked through the Sanatana Sarathi and the Satya Sai speaks. Mm-hmm. Sadly only two discourses that Swami delivered during the 10 day period has been documented there. Mm-hmm. There are actually 
eight discourses that Swami delivered in that 10-day period. Mm-hmm. And during that 10-day period, there were three conferences held. One was a Balvikas Guru's conference, one was a Sevadal conference, conference right. and one was a Second World Conference. Right. And all the discourses that Swami gave defined things for each of these wings of Swami's organization. That is the Sevadal, the Balvikas and the International Organization, Satisai Organization. It is sad that these discourses are not recorded and there were no audios also until recently when our very enthusiastic and supremely superb Telugu team managed to locate cassettes recorded by a person who sat with a Walkman and you know recorded these discourses and therefore we have chanced upon this treasure and dear listeners soon we will be making most of these things public for everyone to listen and enjoy in one of those discourses I heard a poem that Swami often has used but I am sure nobody would have heard it in this way you know we often hear Swami saying there's only one caste the caste of humanity there's only one religion the religion of love there's only one language the language of the heart and there's only one God he's omnipresent but in that discourse Swami said there's only one God and he is Satya Sai and everybody applauds <laughs> Swami immediately comes back and corrects and says when I say Satya Sai it doesn't mean this five foot frame Satya Sai is one who is Shai on Satya which means one who rests on Satya is Satya Sai not this form and Swami says that Satya is the only God Truth is the only God and why I said this was we were discussing about the experiment where we need to have intelligence to interpret what is the result Right. and intelligence is derived from what we perceive and During the course of the discourse, Swami said, You know, if you see, when you sit in a car, you feel you are moving. When you sit on a bullock cart, you feel you are moving. When you sit in a bus, you feel you are moving. But if you stand on the ground, you feel you are not moving. Anybody will look and say that this person is standing stationary. But the truth is, Every second, the earth is moving at so many miles per second speed. So actually, when you think you're standing stationary, you're moving at such tremendous speeds. But nobody will ever tell you that you're moving. Everybody will say that you're standing. Why? Because what you perceive and what is the truth are two totally different things. And then Swami went on to give another example, that of the wall. Right, I think that is also quite often used even in the scientific circles, you know, where you say that you see an object as solid, but if you go deeper within, what is actually there? That's what Swami was telling, I think, in those discourses. When Swami said, you see this wall now, and you say this wall is solid because you can't see what is on the other side of the wall. Correct. But then Swami went on to say, do you know exactly what this is made of? And Swami went on to name these particles. You know, exactly, he said Anu, Anu atoms, wave. and then he said Paramanu. Right. The and protons, the electrons, protons, neutrons. Electrons, neutrons. And Swami said, how are they placed in this atom? They are like the stars scattered in the sky. Hmm. No, they are not like solid. They are spread out in that atom. So literally Swami was telling that what you see as a solid has so much of empty space in it. He said that just like you see stars in this vast sky, like that in the vast space in the atom, the Paramanu or the electrons, electrons. and protons are like those tiny stars. So, more than 98% of the atom is just empty space. But if you ask a scientist, he will also say that this is a wall. He will never say that it's empty space there. (laughs) And Swami asks, why is it that when science has already discovered that it is nothing but empty space, still it calls it a wall? Because what you perceive 
and what is the truth are totally different and then swami said there are people from 46 countries who have assembled in this auditorium people from all kinds all races all castes and all religions what i am saying is that all are one he even quoted jesus christ you know that all are one my dear son be alike yeah, to everyone. everyone and he says you may ask how is it i am separate but how can i be one with all and again swami said because it's always like this what you perceive and what is true are two totally different things so i think in the absence of our ability to understand the truth we have to accept it by those who have understood it you know that's what is said a man with common sense is one who learns from his mistakes hmm. an intelligent man is one who learns from others mistakes also correct because your life is too short to have making to all, your to all the mistakes <laughs> in the world better learn from others wisdom right. and day to day life prem you take a pink color cloth keep it against a green background it looks different keep it against a white background it looks different in fact there are so many simple tricks on the internet you can check it out so now what is pink actually for convenience they say whatever you see under white light against white that is the true color but in an absolute sense that is also relative to the white right we have chosen to take that as the standard what if it's placed against green it's different and in fact going a little bit deeper why does an object appear pink because it is reflecting the pink component of light and absorbing all other components so in reality it is all the other colors other than pink <laughs> but we say it is pink we say it is that which it exactly is not see the paradox what we perceive is totally different from what is actually the reality right what is the truth and therefore swami says that though you do not understand though you are not able to perceive it the truth and this is the most important definition which we will hold on to throughout our satsang and the next satsang also is that satyam means the one that is changeless in the past present and future and satyam is that everything is one that is satyam right that knowledge that you are actually not an individual but part of that whole mm and we all know it biologically even scientifically the eye can see only a certain spectrum of light mm. what you see as pink is only the pink component of that light which you are able to see it may be having so many other components which you cannot see mm. and we believe in so many things which we don't see we believe in all the microscopic organisms which are invisible to naked eye we believe them because somebody has seen them correct so we are ready to place our faith on a scientific mind but on those who have seen the truth who come and tell us that we all are one we hesitate because we feel that it is unscientific <laughs> and as you rightly put it prem some things are just beyond our understanding you know like our eyes are not able to see beyond a spectrum how can i ever say that i want proof that something beyond the spectrum exists and i don't we, have the capability right. to see and if you say that i'll believe only what i see <laughs> exactly that is stupidity you know it reminds me of that interesting example of the 2d world that you told about right right you know there's a wonderful cartoon which is actually trying to explain the concept of god hmm and how we will never be able to comprehend the concept of god but we'll only have to accept it hmm so he was saying that we live in a three dimensional world you know where you have the x y and z axis talking of it mathematically and if you were to go to a two dimensional world you either move front and back or left or right there is no up and down correct so it is almost like imagine a surface of the table hmm. you go and look at the two dimensional world the people in the two dimensional world will never be able to understand you because for them there is no above correct and you are looking at them from above so if you tell them that i am looking at you from above they will say that there is no above there is no above and below it's only front back or right. left right ha huh. okay and when you look at it from above you will be able to see much more than what that object in the two dimensional world can see correct like suppose i'm looking at this table 
I will be able to say that there is this object here, there is a stain here, and so many centimeters away there is another stain. But if you tell that to the two-dimensional world, you are omnipresent. You are omnipresent and omniscient. <laughs> exactly. You know, you are able to see much more than I can see. You know much more than I know. But it is very casual for you because you are living in a three-dimensional world. And the cartoon goes on to say that imagine somebody who lives in the fourth or fifth dimension. Yes, and one who is beyond dimensions. Right. No wonder Swami said that all these miracles are nothing. They are just visiting cards. My greatest miracle is my love. But well, I think we'll be jumping the gun if we go to love. But that is definitely a deep thought for us to ponder on. That all the things that we consider as miracles, Swami would say, what is ascharyam for you, surprise and thrilling for you, is sahajam for me, is natural for me. And, you know, science is also moving towards this satyam. There's the GAIA, Gaia theory, mm-hmm. which states that possibly the earth is one big organism and all of us are different parts of that organism just like fingers and hands and legs of the human body. Okay. So, science too is moving towards that direction which is able to see oneness and unity in the whole creation. Which means, imagine if they say that the earth is one giant organism, we can no longer think that houseflies are pests, we eliminate them. No, it's part of the body. I can't say that my little finger is irritating, I cut it. No, it will pain the body. It is definitely a part of the body. And therefore, I take care of the little finger. So, you know, see, taking care, love, all these human values automatically comes in when you are established in this satyam. That everything is one. You automatically serve the other person because you feel it is part of me. Right. And again, it reiterates the point of the values being a human nature. Mm. Like, you know, the moment you say we are one organism and you explain sevas the hand going to help the leg it becomes an intrinsic thing you don't think the hand is being kind generous exactly so the act of compassion the act of going and helping becomes a nature that is why compassion is a human value it is a nature of humans you don't need a separate corporate social responsibility wing for the hand you don't have to be taught to be compassionate in fact you have to be taught not to be compassionate exactly and that is why Swami would say we need educare because these values need not be inculcated they are already present. They just have to be given a chance to flower and blossom. And most importantly, you should be told that they are your nature. Don't try to move away from them. See now in this light, when we look at the Thanapa story, in that moment, he could feel oneness with the father of the bride. Because of that feeling oneness only, he could understand what is the right thing to do. He automatically knew that in spite of him lying, and if he's taken in a very narrow sense, he's not sticking to the values. He knew that that will be forgiven, it will be accepted and he will be appreciated for what he is doing. And all that could come because of the oneness he felt with the father. And that is how Satyam supersedes Nijam or speaking the facts and being honest as we take it. And if you look at it from Swami's point of view, Hmm. whatever he did was actually in coherence with this Satyam. You know, whatever he did for us, whatever he spoke to us, whatever he was leading us on to was this truth. Hmm. So that is why whatever Swami did was actually in coherence with Satyam. I remember one interesting incident. I have a special attachment for stories related to the convocation drama Mm -hmm. because I feel life itself is like one convocation drama where Swami directs, Swami corrects the dialogues, Swami changes the costumes and Swami only appreciates the drama and Swami rewards the actors. What happens in a convocation drama is what happens in life too. So during one convocation drama, there was a scene which had to be enacted by the saint and sage Ramakrishna Paramahamsa. We know Ramakrishna Paramahamsa. He sings out in adoration to the mother. And the form of the mother that he worships is Mother Kali. Right. 
And so when Swami wanted to come for the rehearsal of the drama, the organizers brought in a statue of Mother Kali. <laughs> and we know how Mother Kali's form is. It is really fearsome. The tongue is out and blood stained and she wears a garland of skulls. She holds a skull in one hand. In the other hand, she holds a cudgel. In one hand, she holds a sharp and thick sword. But that is the beauty of the mother, you know. With such a kind of form, Ramakrishna Paramahamsa fell in love with. That day when Swami came for the practice, he said, What is Ramakrishna Paramahamsa worshipping? Swami, Mother Kali. No, 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 replace. Take out the statue. The statue is not nice. And Swami asked for a statue of Lord Krishna there. And then said, start the practice session. You know, when this happened, everybody thought, Oh my God, what is Swami doing? <laughs> His name is Ramakrishna, of course. Doesn't mean that he worships Krishna. <laughs> he worships Mother Kali and here is Swami tampering with history. So they were very nervous. But Swami would not budge. For the practice sessions, a Krishna statue was being used. And when this went on for some time, they came with an idea, let us use a small Krishna statue. Mm-hmm. So that on the final day when the drama is being done, people will not think of us as fools who don't know even basics of history. Because if it's a small Krishna statue from far, they can't make out whether it's Krishna or Kali. But that ploy didn't work because Swami insisted on that same Krishna statue. And that is how practice sessions went on. And everybody were thinking of the loss of face that will come when the drama is actually put up in public. A day or two before the final day, the D-Day, Swami comes and asks, What is Ram Krishna Paramahamsa worshipping? He did not worship Krishna. He said, bring Mother Kali. You know, that time they organized, they said, fast, fast, fast. You know, get that Mother Kali statue and replace this Krishna before Swami changes his mind. And after that, practice session got over. Swami walks up to this boy who is acting as Ram Krishna Paramahamsa, pats him on his back and says, now it is all fine, right? And then they all see that this boy is in tears. He's just looking at Swami's eyes are watering. His hands are folded and he's just not able to contain himself. And when Swami leaves, they ask him what has happened. And then he reveals that, when he had to do it first time in Swami's presence and the statue was brought. Till then there were no sets and props. That time when the statue was brought, the first feeling he got was, Oh my God, how ugly the mother looks. How do I get feelings of love and devotion towards this? And this boy happens to have his favorite deity as Lord Krishna. Swami knows that Ramakrishna did not worship Krishna. It's only the name. But this Ramakrishna here, who is acting in this drama worships Krishna. And so Swami got it replaced and day in and day out when this boy practiced, he said that it became so part of his nature that he no longer needed an external statue. Every time when he acted as Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, automatically the dialogues came and automatically that love also flowed. And once there was no need of an external support for that devotion to arise in the drama, Swami said, replace Krishna and bring Kali. (laughs) And when this was made aware, everybody felt so foolish for having doubted Swami, for having thought that Swami had gone wrong or he had made some mistake. And Swami is able to do this because he's always rooted in that truth, which is beyond time. He's able to see the past, present and future. And he's rooted in the truth that all are one. And therefore, he's able to feel oneness with all, understand the heartfelt feelings of each one. And see, ultimately what he did turned out to be the best. And that is what happens in all our lives with Swami. In retrospect, we look back and say what Swami did was perfect. Why don't we learn from that experience and then know that what Swami is doing now, which is everything that He is only doing because He is the Lord, is perfect for me. Why don't we realize that? That's one very, very strong aspect which you said that we can never understand the subtler truths. We go by what is the obvious and the straight truth. Then the other aspect of Swami speaking anything is you never know when Swami speaks, it has every ability to become the truth even as we understand it. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I'm reminded of uh, a conversation we had with one of the devotees who came. Mm-hmm. And they are from the 1960s. She was a devotee who came from America. Mm-hmm. And that was a time when, you know, a lot of these youngsters were taking to becoming yogis in India. They would come and settle. There was a time when the Beatles and all those bands were also coming to India. And Shall we say it was a hip time for being right, a hippie? Right. So, she was one of those people who came in that crowd. And they went to Himalayas. They were going around. And she really was a sincere aspirant. You know, it's not that... It was just a culture which she took to. She was a sincere aspirant. So one time when she was in front of the Ganges, she threw away all her passport, visa and all her papers. Why? She says, you know, that I'm not this body, I'm the spirit and I don't belong to any one country. Oh, oh my God, okay. <laughs> okay. And just dumped all her things into the Ganges. And later, after so many years, she came to know about Swami and she came here, she came to Bangalore. And you know, once you come into the city, you have all your problems. You will be asked about your papers, your passports, your visa. Oh, yes. As long as you're living in the forest and right. the Himalayas, it's not a problem. Hmm. So then, you know, she was beginning to face problems, you know, even when you had to rent a house, you'll have to show all these papers and all that. Hmm. So they approached Swami and said, Swami, this is what I did and you know, I need a passport now, what to do? So Swami gave them a solution. Swami said, you know, you go to the local police officer. Swami named a particular officer. And Swami said, you file an FIR mm-hmm. as though you've lost your passport now. Okay. You know, saying that you were staying in such and such a place mm-hmm. and somebody has stolen your bag with which all your passport and every paper is gone. And after having filed the FIR, that person will give you a letter mm-hmm. which you can go and give it in your consulate and they will reissue a passport. So, so Swami told a lie. Right. <laughs> apparently, and Swami said, I will speak to the police officer. So apparently it looked like Swami is setting this thing up. Yeah. And so many others who were there who saw Using his thing, influence and right. then using a lie. And those who were there, they felt really offended. Hmm. They said, how can Swami be party to something which is so adharmic like this? It seems many of them even left in frustration. Oh my you God. Know, not being able to fit in Swami through their idea of what is truth and what is you know, right. Mm. It so happened, you know, she went and the police officer gave her a letter and in a matter of few weeks, she got a passport reissued, which was like unprecedented. You don't get it so easily. Mm. And the best part was, after a few months, exactly the thing what Swami told actually happened. Her bag was looted. Along with that went her passport and visa and everything. Oh, this new passport which she had obtained. Right. The same scene which Swami told her to describe that it had happened, actually happened. And okay. she had to go through the actual process. After that? She went and filed an FIR and she had to get a letter which she went and gave to the embassy in which took six months of the time which it usually takes. Okay, okay. So what Swami said was not actually a lie. It was only a truth which is told in advance. (laughs) You know, Swami has said that when you adhere to truth, truth will adhere to you. In fact, that is why they used to say in the olden times that if you get a blessing from a sage, it's a great thing because what the sage will tell will happen. Even if it is not meant to happen, it will happen because he has adhered to truth all his life. And when we say a person adheres to truth, it doesn't mean he goes about revealing facts always. <laughs> because Swami himself says, Nabruyat Satyam Apriyam, which means do not speak an unpleasant truth. So and the whole verse is Satyam Bruyat, speak the truth. Hmm? Priyam Bruyat, speak pleasantly. Nabruyat Satyam Apriyam. Nabruyat Satyam Apriyam. Do not speak an unpleasant truth. Doesn't mean that you have to speak a pleasant lie also. That follows as a corollary. But if Swami himself says that do not speak the truth if it's unpleasant, it shows that adherence to truth doesn't mean adherence to just stating the facts always. Adherence to truth is living every moment of our lives with that knowledge, with that conviction that we all are one. And therefore, you know, generosity, compassion, love, empathy, all of it comes so naturally because you are part of me. Just like what the hand feels for the eye. What the nose feels for the toe. 
and even sacrifice becomes a natural tendency you know for example if a toe is injured if it has to be amputated the toe doesn't feel that it's doing a great sacrifice it's for the sake of the body it's so natural that is why it is said human values are natural to us and that is the satya that we have to be rooted in but having said all this delicious we are not trying to demean the virtue of speaking the truth or honesty because as you said the one who adheres to truth truth will adhere to him even if you adhere to truth in your narrow minded understanding of truth even that will benefit you and you know what swami says is you will be able to stick to the truth if you have no desires if you have no vested interests you can always speak the truth thank you for bringing up this point prem because of course though we are speaking about what is the actual meaning of satyam this in no way gives us a license to err or tell lies because we are sticking to the ultimate truth this is a mistake that all of us very commonly make quoting a high philosophy and a high truth the ultimate thing when we are not actually living the ultimate thing when we actually live the ultimate thing all these need not be thought Discussed. of and reasoned <laughs> i think that aspect is important before we close this discussion on satya and we will do that after the small break that we take dear listeners we will come back to the concept of satya and nijam and how it is important to speak the truth also and not use advaita for telling lies satya dharma mo shanti prema lato me nitya jeevana yatra saginchu jeeva satya dharma mo shanti prema lato me nitya jeevana ಪ್ರತಿ ಧರ್ಮ ಮೂಲ ಪಟ್ಟು ಬಿಡಕಂಡಿ 
What a song that is Prem. So beautiful. You know, when we understand every statement in this song, this is a song that was composed by Swami. It actually makes us pine for suffering and sorrow, you know, because that seems to be the way to redeem oneself. And that is true also because Swami often tells us the story of how Mother Kunti told Lord Krishna, Lord, fill my life with troubles. Interestingly, you know, once when Swami sang this song, hmm? Swami said, my entire teachings is in this song. Wow. Really, and even directly on the face of it, it's totally believable. <laughs> because how each stanza... deals with one different aspect and it's so wonderful well coming back to the topic prem yes we were 
speaking about how we should not misuse this concept that satya is knowing that everything is one and every act done in that realization makes whatever we say itself the truth how we should not misuse it and justify us telling lies and i think like how we defined when we started with tanapa's truth mm. that was because it was a selfless life what you call a white lie Hmm. because he had nothing to benefit from it yes maybe he would have had to suffer having told a physical lie you know if you look at it that way he right. might have been kicked out of service right maybe he thought that it doesn't matter if i have to demerit myself by telling this lie because it's going to benefit somebody and that is why speaking a lie not because we are going to benefit from it is very very important i think that is a beautiful thumb rule selflessness when we lie i mean if the lie is going to benefit somebody else and definitely I should not be a beneficiary of that lie. If I am a beneficiary of that lie, by default it makes it a terrible thing to do. In fact, it should be such that I am telling the lie in sacrifice. I am losing out something and somebody else is gaining something and that is absolute selflessness and I think that is one nice thumb rule. I don't know if it's an all comprehensive yeah, exactly. rule. You know, it's not an all comprehensive rule because I think somewhere that selfishness is there and you know one of the best stories that Swami says is that of Gandhi and Putli Bhai, right? Correct. Actually, if you look at that story, the mother is actually undergoing some fast and when she hears the cuckoo sing... She has taken up a fast in such a manner that she will have her meal only after she hears the cuckoo sound, the coel sound. Right. So, when Mahatma Gandhi, who is a little boy then, he asks his mother why she is not having food. When she tells him this thing, he goes behind the house and imitates the sound of a cuckoo, hoping that she will eat her food. and then the mother gets very upset she doesn't talk to him and she starts crying swami has different ways of explaining this hmm. swami essentially says that how hurt she is as a mother that because gandhi is told a lie you know in this if you look at it it was a very selfless act <laughs> because gandhi did that so that his mother would eat but here the mother was very very insistent that the virtue of being honest should be driven home correct because you know that is as important as selflessness when you have equal importance to both these values then i think you can have a situation where you can decide what has to be done so then we can modify this is not a thumb rule as a go ahead means we cannot say that if by my lie somebody else is benefiting then it's okay to go ahead with it but we can definitely take this as a level crossing gate stop thumb rule that is if somebody is going to either suffer from the lie that i'm telling or if i am going to benefit by the lie that i'm telling definitely i must not state it so we can take this as a thumb rule for stopping ourselves rather than as a thumb rule for a go ahead and again in many times you know when you tell of selflessness or if it's going to benefit somebody again it comes of benefit in what way it may mm. be immediate benefit but be a long time harm it might be an immediate benefit for others but long time it may benefit me actually <laughs> right so it's a very intelligent so way again of, it comes to you know how intelligent you are how wise you are and wisdom lies in realizing the truth that all are one right. it comes back to that again and again and you know swami is also given so many practical solutions he says that there may be times when you're forced into a corner where you're having to say a lie at such times he gives different solutions one of them he says is to use tact we have discussed this previously also in the satsang mm-hmm. and swami tells the story of a spiritual aspirant who while meditating he is disturbed and when he opens his eyes he sees a deer running and escaping it goes and hides in some nearby bushes and then short time later comes a hunter swami says that this hunter asks the hermit did you see where the deer went and this is even mentioned in i think shivaratri 2002 discourse swami says that this aspirant is now in a fix if he says that yes i know the deer is here he's going to be harming a creature which is again sinful 
if he says i don't know where the deer went i will not say no that's telling a lie which is also sinful so swami says now it is almost like he has to choose between two evils our choice would be to choose the lesser of the evils but then swami says that this hunter himself was lord shiva in disguise who had come to test this aspirant and then the aspirant prays to lord shiva he says lord give me the answer i don't want to kill a living being at the same time i don't want to tell a lie through that swami gives us a hint that in such times always resort to prayer seek god's help because god will help and i feel that is the reason why swami gives this variant of the story he says he prayed intensely to lord shiva and lord shiva blessed him with yukti yukti meaning tact and then the aspirant says to the hunter the eyes that saw are not able to speak and the mouth which can speak did not see <laughs> and therefore what do i tell you and that is how he escapes the situation and lord shiva gives him darshan and says that he is pleased with him so swami always says that when you are in such situations use tact but through this story also gives us a very subtle but strong hint that in order to get that tact get that yukti pray to the lord and seek his guidance so that is one way we can get out of situations where we think that there is no other choice other than to tell a lie and you know the important thing what you said is pray to the lord whenever we are faced with a moral dilemma i think it's always that insight that gut feeling which actually guides you mm-hmm. but the other way is if you are one who has taken to the vow of speaking the truth i think what repercussions would come out of that vow will be taken care of by the lord mm-hmm. one of the best stories is there in the mahabharat okay you know the last day of the battle Mm-hmm. all the kauravas have vanquished except duryodhana the eldest brother the eldest brother and the final battle he is supposed to go for a battle with bhima they mm-hmm. would have a maze fight so he's lost all his resources he goes and asks somebody what is to be done and he is guided that the best person who can actually tell you is yudhishthira and he says yudhishthira will not lie and yudhishthira will give you the best solution to be the one who is to win this battle okay imagine yudhishthira is the enemy who has fought this long battle who is himself given so many losses So Duryodhana goes to Yudhishthira and asks him what do I do I want to win this battle with your brother Bhima Oh god And Yudhishthira the one who is given to sticking to truth he gives him the solution that you go to Gandhari Duryodhana's, Duryodhana's mother. mother who has actually blindfolded herself since her marriage to Dhritarashtra because her husband because is Because her husband is blind she says I take upon this blindness hmm. And because of that virtue she actually has so much of power in her vision Just a small deviation here Prem Swami says that when you control your drishti your drishti has so much power and that is why you know this concept of darshan whatever my eyes fall on are transmuted because one who has complete control over the drishti has great power in the eyes and when the sight of such a person falls on us our lives are transformed and that is the reason we go to temples we go to visit holy people and hope that their drishti falls on us and this is the advice actually that yudhishthira tells Duryodhana that your mother she has had complete control over her drishti so there's great power in her drishti if her sight falls on you once you will be invincible and that's what he says that you go to your mother in the nude and when she sees you your body will become impregnable you know you don't need any armory after that the story goes that he goes to his mother to get that final benediction yeah, and he's completely naked when he's going right there. and that time krishna comes in and okay. changes duryodhana's mind he says that how can you go like this even though it's your mother he starts quoting some shastra saying that it is wrong for a man of certain age to go to his mother in this form and all that and forces him to wear something like a loin cloth the story goes that he wears a leaf gandhari sees duryodhana but then the thigh part is left without that protection 
Hmm. And then Krishna tells Bhima that you attack him there and that's how Duryodhana gets killed. If you look at the story, you know, here is Yudhishthira who is given to the vow of truth and the Lord comes in and protects him from what would be disaster. The huh? disasters which would result from that virtue. Beautiful. Well, two solutions we have here. If we are in a situation where we are supposed to tell a lie, we can either use tact and we should pray to the Lord. Or the third thing is stick to your virtue and know that it will protect you. That is what Swami says in like Dharmo Rakshati Rakshita. It will protect you because if you have really been truthfully abiding by that virtue, that virtue itself will protect you. Dear listeners, this is not an all comprehensive answer, but these are just thoughts that Prem and myself, we have pondered about in our reflections, in our reading of Swami's discourses and our understanding of Swami's discourses. Please do write in with your thoughts, your feelings, because this satsang about the four values will continue next week definitely and we will definitely be discussing all the inputs that you send in so that we can build on this satsang and as always this is a satsang that's a global satsang so having said that we offer this humble effort of us and humble in all senses it really is because every of these concepts swami has spoken so much about he's left us with a wealth and we are having the duty of excavating this wealth and this is our little humble endeavor in that process we offer this effort of ours at Swami's lotus feet. We sign off with the name of our Lord on our lips and in our heart. Sai Ram, you just heard an episode of our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a live discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics and today's episode was first featured as part of Radio Sai's Thursday Live at 12.30pm on August 1st, 2013. You can mail us your comments and feedback to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and Sai Ram from Prashant Nilayam. <laughs>